What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway in a brand new day. Gotta let it go. So Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for August 11th, 2022. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed and on podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, just link, just click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. You just click the red box that says sponsor this podcast and you can set up a one-time or reoccurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, I'm Mike Spears, joined alongside your other host, Case Low. In case we are now 11 days after Kobe World Weekend, and I still kind of feel like we're in the like wake of it. Uh, what is your mind on Dragon Gate now that we're moving two weeks past the biggest weekend of the year? I think I'm a little more positive on it than a lot of other people are. And I think a lot of this show is going to be me uh, communicating with you and sort of bouncing a few ideas off of you of, hey, am I am I too far into the forest on this product? I, I think a theme that I've talked about a lot over the past year, 18 months is, you know, quite frankly, a lot of wrestling is just not doing it for me right now. I think the Japanese scene is very dire, I don't like the direction of Noah. A lot of New Japan stuff, especially New Japan that doesn't involve Okada, Osprey, or Shingo, leaves me very cold. All Japan and this current group of guys has never been my thing. And in America, outside of AEW and West Coast Pro, which I've become a really big fan of, there's not a lot for me right now. And so on top of doing this podcast, on top of just my natural interest of Gate. I've really leaned hard into the fact that, you know, this and Dynamite and West Coast Pro are really the only things that I'm watching on a consistent basis. And so maybe my my views are a little cloudy. Maybe I'm not seeing things from another perspective. I looked at Kobe World and the Ultima show as a failure, but not a disaster. And I certainly liked a lot of the directions leaving this Cork and Hall show. So I'm feeling pretty good, all things considered. I, I don't really have a sweat above my brow. I'm not, I don't have a ton of worries, both short-term and long-term. There's things that need to be addressed. There's things that are not perfect. But on the whole, I'm 
I'm okay with where things are at right now. What about you? So just like from a macro sense, I think we are globally in like a wrestling period that we've already seen some winnowing that happened because of uh, speaking out with promotions and wrestlers. And then also COVID has put a damper on a lot of things, but also has accelerated a lot of, a, a lot of things to conclusions that, you know, not necessarily positive ones, but just like things have moved along a little bit faster. I mean, Russell won. I think we could argue that that was something two years ago that was going to happen, but COVID kind of put the foot on the gas a little bit. And I think we're going to see more of that over the next few years. I, I, I think that right now is the attrition phase and we'll see like a resolution to see. Cause, cause like I look at what, what you're saying about like the situation in Japan and in a lot of ways and looking business wise and just like looking at like, heat check wise and it just seems like that it's a i don't think it's precarious i think it's it's something that like we are in 12 months from now i think we might be looking potentially at a different wrestling landscape to be quite honest and then stuff that like i've watched and enjoy i'm pretty close to where you're at like i think there's a lot more interesting things happening outside of the wrestling ring than stuff happening in wrestling nowadays if we want to take the complete macro look like there, like the the way that you're describing it, just as well, case it, it seems like it's something that like what's happening around wrestling at times is much more interesting, and there's some more compelling things than actually what's been put on in the ring nowadays. I think across the wrestling world. Yeah, I would I would completely agree with that. I, I am very worried about talent development, especially in Japan, especially outside of Dragon Gate. Now, I I will say. Noah has some young kids that I like, but you know, it's, it's Noah and and those kids tend to get eaten up and that's not a Mudo problem, uh, nor a Kenokushin booking problem, nor a Nozawa booking problem. That is just the history of pro wrestling Noah and their lack of being able to make certain guys stick. They have some young guys that I like new Japan, obviously, uh, has an incredible global presence. I compliment that all the time. I actually don't think new Japan ever gets the credit they deserve for just how, immersive they are in a global sense at this point and the talent they've got uh, stacked all around the world at this point some of those guys come back to japan i i you know i think new japan is very much okay but i was very surprised and i you know i want to make this very clear up top that this is not directed at one person nor one show uh any any time i'm responding to things i read or heard over the past few weeks in regards to the ultima show in kobe world because i I really cared about the feedback from that show. I was really curious to see what people thought. And I, I read every opinion that I could find in English on those two shows. And I was just very surprised at how down some people are on Drangate. Now, let the record show we were too. I absolutely hated the main event build. And I, I think I was proven right from the business sense. You know, what those shows did or rather didn't do, I think supports the arguments that we made on this show. But I'm not biting my fingernails going like, oh my God, what's Gate going to look like in December? Do they need to regroup? Do they need to recalibrate? Like, no, I, I think they're going to be fine. And the attendance on this August Cork and Hall show, which was 1,056 people, is right in line with what they've been doing since the restrictions were lifted in April. Obviously, for the Kness retirement show, they did 1410. That was as close to a salad as they've gotten. One of the highest attended Corkins of the year. That's been their highest mark. But then after that, they ran a second April Corkin show that did uh, 886. 
the King of Gate show in May that did 906, the King of Gate show in June that did 1038, the Torimon reunion show that did 1296, last month 1087, and then this month 1056. So that consistency that we're used to from Drangate in Tokyo is still there. I think we saw in the short-term future a very strong build towards what should be a very interesting main event at Dangerous Gate, and there was some stuff on this show that made me really excited about the long-term future of Dragon Gate, the three to five and even 10 years down the road stuff that I, I, I could already get excited about. So it, it's not paradise. It, it is by no means the promotion that I thought we were en route to getting in January, February, and March of this year. But like I said, I'm not, I'm not biting my fingernails. I, I, I'm not worried for what their next step was going to be. There's things that need to be addressed that we'll talk about on this show. But on the whole, I still feel like the army that they have, the weapons that they can use, and their overall stability is far greater than almost any other promotion in the world. You know, obviously they're not on that WWE, AEW, New Japan top level, but once you move down to that second tier, I struggle to think of a promotion that is uh, a more equipped in the moment and in five years down the road to succeed. It, it just seems like. People were thrown off by this Coach Minora thing, rightfully so. I hated it as well, and I'm a huge Coach Minora fan. But this August Corkin show happens, and they put some aces into places, and, and things were all right. I, I, I don't know. I enjoyed this show for the most part, and I was a little surprised reading the Voices of Wrestling Discord. Uh, some things that I read, because I, I, I didn't think this was a great show by any means. I had no four-star matches. But I thought this was a pretty good show overall. Yeah, I, I I guess I'm still of the mindset that I don't want to applaud them for solving a problem of their own creation with Kobe World Weekend with the main event scene there. Like that's something that I in, in a lot of promotions I'd be like, oh, okay, they, they they screw it up, but they pull themselves out of it. Dragon Gate, I judge differently. Dragon Gate has higher standards. I'm not applauding that. However, three, five, ten years. I think that my worries that I had about three, five, and ten, like long, long term, were solved a couple of years ago. To be quite honest, like especially seeing how things came out after Yoshino retired last fall, like I was like, okay, it's not like situation critical. Things are stabilizing. I do think that a lot of reaction, and I haven't seen a lot of it. Like I, I've been the exact inverse and. People uh, listening, I apologize for my voice. I've been dealing with massive sinus issues over the last week, but I have not been as online, so I haven't seen it. So my reaction to kind of how things are in Dragon Gate, like short term, is it's a messy situation. We knew it was messy, like coming out of Kobe World. Things got a little bit cleaned up in some regards. The, the, let the records state that i was right about one thing or i'm on the road to being right about one big thing but it's something that i think that like with me saying i'm not going to applaud them for solving a problem of their own creation i look at this messiness and dragon gate gets a little bit of benefit of doubt that it's like all right are things like neat and tidy right now no i mean there's two walking dead units here there's a lot of questions going on here there's a certain a ARP card holder whose influence we'll get into later on in this show. But I look at this, I'm like, okay, Dragon Gate six months from now, I fully expect 2023 
that I look back and this was like, oh yeah, that was not necessarily a tidy time, but they pulled themselves out of it because it's Dragon Gate. I don't have that inescapable dread that I felt, especially in 2018. And I think that's what I have to gauge this on is, especially now because we're doing weekly audio and at the time we weren't, we were doing basically quarterly shows. You were solo for most of that period. Uh, And then I was almost just, hey, Mike, can I come on the podcast this month and talk about something for a little bit there? But I I don't have that, oh, God, I got to watch a Kobe Sambo Hall show, or, oh, no, here we go again, this dire cork and undercard. I I just feel like the company's in such a healthier spot, even with the departures of the rookies and the veterans. So I I, I feel okay. Now, there's one thing I will say. I feel like we're going to be on totally separate pages on one thing that happened on this Cork and Hall show, and I can't wait to get to it because I we rarely disagree to extreme degrees. I think we're going to on this episode. Yeah, I, I, I have a feeling I know exactly where I'm looking at it, at the Facebook page right now at what match I think we're going to diverge pretty strongly on. But I, I guess like the question I would say wrapping this up before we get into the review itself case is, so... I, I'll say I don't have a four-star match on this show. I have a lot of stuff within a a certain band of matches that I wouldn't call bad. But does this, like, really, like, it, maybe it's something that I have, uh, or maybe the two of us have internally adjusted to what Corkins are now under the current creative regime. And I think that that might be a little bit of a shock. Because if you're not someone who's, like, versed then. 2003 2004 Torimon shows you're not used to the fact that like matches will be really short and oh great they're gonna give someone a promo a a mic time for a promo and this person can cut a promo because that was happening all the time then this issue of not having great matches in Corkin is not a new issue despite what clearly appears to be a, some people having a greater influence in creative and it, you know we'll we'll certainly talk about that on the show as to who we think is is perhaps pulling new strings here this is something that goes back to the start of the pandemic in august of 2020 when they began running shows in cork and again i talked a lot in 2020 and early 2021 especially right before they got on that hot streak there was kind of a september october november december period where they were locked in and those shows were really strong but the first half of last year and I think a good chunk of this year, these Corkin shows have not been banger after banger after banger. And it's not that I have had to readjust my thoughts on what a Corkin Hall show should be, because I, I I don't think they've differed that much. But I do think on the whole, the match quality in Tokyo has dipped. You know, the average star rating, if you will, is probably a little bit lower in 2020, 2021, and 2022 than it was 2014, 2015, 2016. I don't think that's the reason to, a reason to sound any alarms, but it's a lingering issue that they've had in the pandemic world. Yeah, no, it, it's something that I, I just kind of think that certain adjustments in COVID, like the, the, the big thing of Corkin at this point, like attendance-wise is like, this is probably what's going to be at for them if people want to try to sell it at every seat possible with them with it so they're going to have to adjust to this and i just think that it's going to be something like if things were free and clear next cork and i i don't know what it is the september cork and i don't 
think things are going to snap too. I think it's going to be something that it will be working its way out of this if it does. You know, I mean, there is something to be said about, okay, our big show each month, we have all the storylines that's going to fill out the rest of our TV loop and then all of our house shows and then leading up to Dangerous Gate. Like, we already have the main event, Dangerous Gate. Like, there is there is an argument to be made that long-term, this actually makes more sense. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I, I was expecting a bigger angle on this show than anything that took place. I will reiterate, and I said this last week when we talked about Kobe World, I really think it's a mistake that SB Kento merely just walked away onto his international tour. I am really disappointed that there's not a strong angle, a bloodied SB Kento that can stick in my head for months and months and months until he returns to Japan, which should be sometime early in 2023. That bothers me. I think that was a huge missed opportunity, and that was what it felt like this show was missing. Where there are a bunch of little small angles here, they built up the Dreamgate match, which I love. After everything we went through with Kobe World and the Dreamgate situation there, the fact that we know our Dangerous Gate main event, and that Dangerous Gate show happens this year, uh, it's going to be in late September. Great. I am all for that. It just seemed like we were missing another big angle, and I and I think that could have been SB Kento being removed from Japan, but alas, he just walked off into the sunset. That still really bothers me. Yeah, and it, it's something that like y- you want to have that feeling of all right, I'm watching him like gain all this experience, but back of your head, it's like oh, he'll turn on this guy. He's going to come and destroy this guy when he comes back here, and I want to watch him. I I know you you don't watch anime case, but you, you want to notoriously. See- you want to see Goku and the hyperbaric train uh, chamber for an episode that's actually like six months in real life. You you want to watch that and have a reason to versus him just disappearing. Yeah, I really want to see Goku in the hyperbaric chamber. You're right. <laughs> uh, let's get in Corkin, should we? Yeah, Shall let's we? talk about something cool for once. Let's talk about Japanese wrestling. Yeah. All right. So as Case mentioned and went down, attendance 1056. Uh, we were talking privately and. A thousand was kind of the number that that case like threw out there. I didn't really commit to an over or under, but I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. So right about that that is true. I told Mike this privately. I I would have been gravely concerned had this show done 800 fans. I, I, I think I think anything like that would have been a real problem and a lingering issue from world. But what we saw with attendance was. You know, it was it was steady. Stable. You know, May, May, June, and July Tokyo numbers were roughly the same with the Tori Bond reunion show getting just a little bit of a bump. Uh, but it was just that that go home angle left a bad taste in people's mouth. And once they got through that, it are like Menorah being removed. I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead, but Menorah <laughs> just not being around Yoshioka on this show. It was like, oh, I can enjoy Coach Minoru again. I can enjoy Yuki Yoshioka again. We'll talk about Madoka Kakuta. I don't know what got into him on this show, but all of a sudden he decided to lace up his boots and show up, which was a nice surprise. It just, everything uh, felt better. Everything was yeah. was more breathable on this show. Had they done 800, I would have gone, God, that July angle did more damage than we even thought. I, I think we hate, no, now it, it didn't. It, it hurt the two biggest shows of the year, which sucks because they're the two biggest shows of the year. People weren't into that at all. But now everybody involved in that from Kai to Yoshioka to Minora to Minorita to Kondo, I think they're all in a healthier position moving past it. 
Yeah, and I, I would say that like attendance dropping, I'm just doing it off the top of my head with with allergy medicine, twenty only losing twenty five tickets, that's negligible. And if if it was something that we've seen, like that that shows us that people were able to stomach that. Now September, that might be there might be people waiting to see, like, okay, I want to see how things kind of shook up or like it's it's the post Kobe world cork and I wanna see this. Maybe September that might be something to kind of keep an eye on in terms of that. But yeah, no, it's it. Everyone, after we got our medicine and grimaced through it, we're feeling much better afterwards. And, uh, by, the, and oh, by the way, sorry, I, we will talk about this Cork and Hall show. I promise you we'll get to it. <laughs> but because it was my favorite gimmick for a while, I need to point out July 14th, Cork and Hall, all Japan does 893 with Suwama beating Jake Lee for the Triple Crown. They come back in August for a Royal Road show in Cork and Hall. But by the way, main event, Kento Miyahara versus Taru, which could be the problem here, but they do 610. All Japan saw a noticeable dip with the booking decision they made. Gate has not seen that yet. I mean, maybe maybe the Voodoo Murders uh, fan club isn't as vibrant as it once was at one uh, point. I was going to say, you would actually think, just given the people that Taru might surround himself with, that Cork and Hall would be packed and arguably packed by gunpoint, but nevertheless, only 600 people in the building for that match. Yeah, yeah. Eh, maybe, uh, the, I, uh, we'll, we'll see if all Japan. Uh, the, sometimes things work out with them. Sometimes things don't. Might uh, getting very nervous all of a sudden. Well, 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 it's because the opening match case. I I would have had a very smart segue. Then I, but then I have a whole lot of oh, I'm not sticking my foot into this this early on the show. But it's high end Yamato, Kakator, and Benke losing to Natural Vibes, Big Boss Shimizu, Jackie Funky Kamei, and Jason Lee after. Ben misfires with a spear on Kagatora, allowing Jackie Funky Kame to roll up Kagatora with the Jackie Knife pinfall and high end case. Man. So, Keisuke Akuda now officially out of the promotion, not even referred to on commentary, by the way. Uh, do, do you want to speak to Akuda leaving just a second in your, in your larger point about um, perhaps the way that some people feel about it to the reality of the situation? Yeah. Yeah, so Keisuke Akuda, I mean, uh, it, it, it it's something that with him, his departure, there was a big disparity, I think, between international fans and native fans. Like, the idea of, like, Keisuke Akuda being, like, this cool, badass MMA fighter, like, that made sense for international fans because the feud we saw with Ishida that we talked about a few weeks ago, but not necessarily the case natively. And it just seems that, it, like, at a certain point, it just seems like it just like both parties ready to move on. Seems like the Kuda's back in DDT and will probably fare poorly in, in MMA fights. Cause that seems to be where his mind was at, at his last 18 months in Dragon Gate. And the Ishida feud was already two years ago. So mm-hmm. we're looking at a thing, you know, I, I was a big Akuda fan. I loved him when he came in, when he joined Mochizuki Dojo, I thought he was super exciting. Obviously this podcast was a huge fan of what he did with Kaito Ishida, but that was two years ago. He never really evolved. Like we talked about on the show a few months ago, I think it was 
the May Kobe Sambo Hall show, we had somebody in the building there who said that Ben and Akuda did an autograph signing during intermission, and it was the smallest line they had ever seen. You know, normally Natural Vibes or even High End with Yamato and Dragon Kid would bring forth a good number of people, and with Akuda and Ben, it was a dire situation in terms of getting people lined up to to get a photo with those two. So, Ashita, like I said, when he left. I think that means more in the short term than it does the long term. Akuda, outside of image and reputation, I don't think it changes the day-to-day of this promotion at all. I don't even think like image reputation really changed that much either. I mean, maybe with people that really liked that feud and wanted that feud to be more emblematic of the uh, majority of Dragon Gate and seeing Okuda kind of as like the flag bearer of that, maybe that, but... I look at Okuda as a guy who had like a great feud and then got the belt and that, 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 that title run was not great. And then like, I remember like part of the reason why he was in Mochizuki Dojo was trying to get him up to speed with the roster and it worked for a little bit. But as soon as you saw him outside of the Ishida context, he just was an MMA guy, never adapted, always felt kind of out of place. It was cool to see like him versus Punch Tomonaga. That feud was weird, but funny. And that was like interesting to see, but you can only get so long out of that if you're not evolving in ring. And if you're not drawing, then at a certain point, it's just, what are we doing here? Ultimately, he's a guy that began the year on the roster and now he's not there. And for a lot of people, that is something that can't be ignored. Whether or not Akuda makes a difference at the box office at all or not, it's still a guy that has left during a time period where a lot of guys are leaving. But like we talked about, I don't think it means anything to the promotion. I loved him at Mochizuki Dojo, but he was working Akuda slash Mochizuki style of matches. He had the Ishida feud, which was right in his wheelhouse. And as I've talked about, and I, I wish I would have been more on it in the moment, I, I only truly realized in hindsight that that Bravegate run where he was wrestling Hyo and he was wrestling Punch Tamanaga, yes, it was bizarre, but it was a test. It was a test to see if he could do Dragon Gate things instead of merely Kaisuke Akuda things. And ultimately he failed that test. And here we are. So I enjoyed his time in the promotion. He does not make a difference at the box office and they will be more than okay without him. If anything, this lets high end die a more nobler death than him just being a giant question mark, you know, completely. And my review as of the time we're recording this, my written review is not up at voices of wrestling.com. My guess is just given, uh, uh, my timing for this evening that it will be published right around the same time that this podcast is published. I have to say, and I talk about this a lot in my review. I am into Ben K right now. And this is the first time I've said this in a long time. It's certainly the first time I've said this uh, with him as a member of high end, because the only other thing he's really been pushed in, in this unit was that build to the gate of origin match with Yamato last year, unit versus unit. They had a road to match, the November Corkin hall show that died a death it was uncomfortably quiet in cork and hall that match was but i am into ben right now he looks motivated i think and this is where we might disagree a little bit i think he's going to get a Dreamgate shot at gate of destiny i think that show is going to be headlined yoshioka versus ben k and right now he's doing all of the right things to get to that spot i i want to see what ben k looks like coming out of high end before that because, I mean, we're talking October, November. They're going to have to figure this out. And I just, the way that he was built up, like, in the lead up to Kobe World, like, 
maybe that was like laying down the i i saw that more as laying down the groundwork to get rid of high end and to make sense of that second night triangle negate match so i i I can't discount it he is not someone that they take long to heat up so i mean he's not taking losses when he would in the past so i can't discount it but it's something that like i want to see where he's at whenever they figure out this high-end mess before I immediately put him back into that picture. I think there's always one guy when a unit disbands like this, there's always one guy that gets the immediate jetpack put on his back. And this high-end dissolution is not being focused on Yamato. It's not being focused on Dragon Kid. It's obviously not being focused on Kagatora. Ben is the main character in this story right now. And I don't think this is the last time this year that he's going to be the main character. His Gate of Destiny history is rich. He headlined the show in 2018 and 2019 against Masato Yoshino. Last year, he was in a Triangle Gate match, Eichihyo and Ashida versus Ben, Dragon Kid, and Kagatora. This is a show that he's been in the big spot before. There's obviously a reason to do the Yoshioka match, given that they are both guys of the class of 2016. And again, what I perceive to be the beginning of a pretty big Ben K push. So we'll see where that goes. But I enjoyed this opener. Very fun, very lighthearted. I thought the finish was great. Everybody was in the right spot at the right time. I enjoyed this. Yeah, it's like something that I thought that this was the second best match on the show. I It was something where like we got Ben and Kagatora, which was something that I really enjoyed whenever Ben and Kagatora tag team because they do like this bully kind of thing, like technical bullies. And we got that with Jackie Funky Kame, who I, I struggle to think of someone who's more effective babyface in peril than Jackie Kamei right now. Like, he's really brought that to the next level, and it just all kind of molded together to be a really fun opening Dragon Gate 6-man tag. Like, this is, like, when it's whenever, like, the, the company line about, oh, the opener is the second most important match on a Dragon Gate show, this is the kind of match they're talking about to open this show. Like, this felt like a standard Dragon Gate, very good six-man opener. One spot I'll mention before we move on, I really liked Shimizu hitting a bunch of big moves, doing his cartwheel, and normally he would do the Razor Ramon taunt out of that, but he cartwheeled directly into a Ben K spear, and I thought that looked phenomenal. Yeah, the timing that they had for Ben's big stuff on this on this match, like it, it is something that like I can't deny that Ben is being focused. Like it's very clear that he is the crux of whatever is going to be happening of high end and Whenever they had the the focus on him, like with that, or just like nice little things, I thought that knocked it out of the park. So it's making sure that Binke is the uh, kind of the catalyst for whatever is going to be happening with this unit going forward. He he's a human, you know. We talk about this with Kagator. I think Joe Lanz always makes a great point when he's talking about wrestler motivation levels. These guys are human, and if they're not given anything to do, it's going to be hard for them to always hit the level that we expect from them. And Ben is a guy who is often featured but rarely focused on if that makes sense he's always there but he's not really the guy and this is a position where he's he's being featured and he's being focused on and he's taking advantage of it so i i like the spotlight on ben k i think he's doing good work right now and then we had match two which was the corkin return of Ryufuda, who came back from a broken sternum during Kobe World Weekend. He got to tough out of Takashi Yoshida, who defeats him in five minutes with a pineapple bomber. And Fuda, yet again, I mean, I really enjoyed like the little bits of that we got to see of him, Kobe World Weekend case. But he's like really like coming back from this injury. He's putting 
good feet forward and, and differentiating himself in a roster with his skill set that he needs to differentiate himself. I'm glad you feel the same way. I obviously, Fuda's debut match, I was raving about. We dubbed this guy the problem. I thought he was going to be the one from this class to really take off. And in his infinite wisdom, Alan Forel, friend of the show, said, nah, this Takuma Fujiwara kid's going to be the one. And and boy, was Alan right. And does he deserve to take a victory lap for that one? But I've always enjoyed Fuda. And I especially like the way that he's presenting himself since he returned from this broken sternum. He's in a very interesting spot right now. He has a chance to constantly over-deliver, which is an interesting position for him to be in. But you look at the young guys on this roster. Sato and Riki Yahashi are gone. Fujiwara is in Mexico. Even Espy Kento, who I'll throw in the mix, is removed from the picture at this point. Mochizuki Jr. and Ishinihashi are doing their own thing. And so now we're at a point where Fuda is the young guy on the undercards. And given the fact that Sato retired and Ricky retired and Fujiwara's in Mexico, that luster that was on the class of 2021, the potential that we thought was there has been yanked out from under us. And it's not a talking point anymore. We don't talk about those six guys as a collective, nor should we, because it fell apart before it even got started. So food is going to be a position over these next few months with Mochizuki Jr. holding the, the triangle gate belts with Ishinihashi doing whatever he's doing. And I'm excited about his future. Food is going to be the guy on the undercard that now has a position to leave his impression on us. There's going to be Kobe shows and Fukuoka shows and Kyoto shows where guys are going to be working their hardest. Main events are going to be great. And Rio Fuda and match number two, match number three is going to have a chance to show us if he's a valuable member of the roster or not. And if he works this hard in every single match for the next six months, I think he's going to put himself in a really good position because I really like this match. Wasn't great by any means, not something you need to go out of your way to watch, not something if you just need to watch the featured stuff on the show. This is not one of those matches, but if you care about him or you care about the rookie class, the talent development in Dragon Gate, I think this is a match that you can point to because he has come back and do you do you feel like he's just presenting himself differently? Like he's way more charismatic now than he was in January, February, and March of this year? Yeah, he's definitely a lot more confident. Like physical charisma, which is something that we have talked a lot about. Madoka Kakuda, like, he, like that's not an issue with Ryufuda. He did not necessarily have that before, other than when he was being a killer, being a problem. Now we're starting to see that. I I, I like the fact that like he's someone that by just showing like, oh, I use ropes to get leverage on kicks. It's like, oh, this is like a thinking man's uh kickboxer in a way, and I I you can see that charisma on display in this match he's got this almost underdog charisma that he's developing he's kind of like like watching like a defensive end recover a fumble and you see this big human running down the field and you go like oh my god he 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 might you know he's not as fast as anybody else but I really want to see him score right now. He's got that thing where he's not this polished kickboxer. You know, I think Mochizuki Jr. has already sort of uh, positioned himself as the young kicker on the roster, which sucks for Fuda. But he's he's doing these little things. I thought it was really smart the way that 
he couldn't land all of his offense on Yoshida in this match. He kept on trying to suplex him and he couldn't do it and he couldn't do it and it could, he couldn't do it. And it built sympathy for Fuda in this way that I haven't really seen from him yet. And I liked it a lot. I like his new gear. I like the way he's carrying himself. I like the way he was positioned in this match. He is a guy for the rest of the calendar year. No Fujiwara, no SB Kento. Minorita's doing his thing. Jackie Funky Kamei is above this at this point. And Ishin and Mochizuki Jr. have seemingly already moved on to greener pastures. This is the guy to watch. We've talked about the lack of depth on this roster just by happenstance, just by injuries and retirements and excursions. Fuda can be a plug in a sinking ship, and I really hope he delivers on that potential. And it's something that, so we're going to start seeing more of the rookies debut. Nagano's coming up, and then, of course, the one that's heading straight to Tori Moncasas. So gets into kind of the old-school treatment in a way, but he kind of has a lane. But, like, Fuda, in, in a way, if you think about how the end of 2021 was for the rookies, like, you had the Hashi brothers debut at Dangerous Gate, and then soon after you had three more debuts and it just came in such rapid oh no you had Hayakawa coming in for an injury debuting instantly and then you had three more right afterwards that Fuda it, it was something that as we got away from him while everyone was still around Fuda kind of receded back inwards and it was only when Okuda choked him out that like we were like going like okay maybe this is something for this guy and he comes back from a completely unrelated injury he's lost weight but like he wasn't yeah. like yeah yeah, yes, he has. Sorry to cut you off, but yes, he's lost a noticeable amount of weight. Yeah, and it looks good. Well, like it, it, it's something like you see him come back, and you're like, okay, he kind of was. I, I, I don't want to say he was thick, but he was a guy that you, you know, there's a little bit of weight behind those kicks he was throwing for before he got injured, you know. But now he, it, it's something that it, he's going to have an opportunity now that it was a lot more muddled for him just right when he debuted. Uh, Kaito Nagano is going to debut on August 21st in Fukuoka, so get into that. What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network, and I just want to let you know about a brand new sponsor we have for the network. It's Eufy, and let me tell you a little bit about their newest product, the Eufy Video Smart E330. This isn't your everyday smart lock. This is a smart lock a 2K camera, and a doorbell offering triple the security and triple the convenience. Instead of loading up your door with a bunch of different devices, you install one, and it takes care of everything in a complete package. It's not just about the home security, though. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is also for convenience. No more worrying about losing keys. You can let each member of your family get a password. You can monitor their movement in and out of the house. You can keep an eye on your packages. You can check in on your house while you're away. There is so much you can do with this product. Best of all, it is easy to install and set up. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver. Leave that drill in the toolbox. The Eufy has keyless entry, a 0.3 second fingerprint recognition, a rechargeable battery with a four month lifespan, two-way audio from the lock, enhanced night vision, 24-7 customer support, and you'll love this, none of those pesky monthly fees. Eufy sent me a Smart Lock 330 and I've loved it so far. It allows me peace of mind when I'm at work or when I'm away on one of my patented vacations. Plus, it helps me keep track of deliveries to the house, saves me a trip back to the car if I just need to run in for something and I forgot my keys, and the two-way audio system works well for those unwanted guests 
at my front door. No, I do not need new siding or windows or a roof. Thank you, though. You can simply tell them you aren't interested from the comfort of your couch. Now, are you ready to ditch the others and join the Eufy revolution? Of course you are. Get started today by searching Eufy Video Lock on your search engine of choice. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can finally, once and for all, gain complete control of your door. Once again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock ufiofficial.com slash video lock and we thank them for sponsoring the voice wrestling podcast network what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas these ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health shop now at hero.co that is right and after this, we had match three. This was Natural Vibes, UT, and, and Strong Machine J versus the unaffiliated team of Kanichiro Rai and a returning Yosuke Santa Maria. Strong Machine J got the submission on Maria, debuting the what is called the Diamond Framed, which is a rotated into Tequila Sunrise to win the match in 8 minutes and 43 seconds. It's crazy to think one day this match will headline our produce show. I, I mean, Punch the Hara kind of took the wind out of my sail. <laughs> that show, do you have that? Do you have that poster pulled up? We don't have to distract ourselves if you don't. But that show is so far uh, oh, up do our I alley. Have that, do I have that poster <laughs> nice. pulled up, Case? Yeah. So the, this is the, this is Voicegate Produce. Also, Punch the Hara, the former ring announcer for Torimon Produce, and just like the people you have on this poster, Akuta Hidaka, just looking great. As always, uh, uh, of course, our main man, Taro Nohashi, is in a prominent position. Like for these posters, you want to be as close to eyeline as possible. And, and, and who do we have at eyeline? No more, no one else other than Taro Nohashi on it. It's a fantastic. Yeah, I am very excited to see if that show pops up on a Nico Nico Hiroshi type service. Yamato is on this poster case. Well, you can't win them all, but I like the yeah. rest of the guys that are working it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you have to have some Kanbari produce in there with uh kanoka god uh suki suki's on this show case suki yeah that's what this is this is good stuff i'm excited for this show there's there's a few things coming up uh between (laughs) this and the the gamma retirement show that what is the i just dm this match to you the opening match on the gamma retirement show and i don't know if this is going to air anywhere or not i really hope it does and hopefully two weeks from now, we'll have some pretty in-depth thoughts on this show uh, because we're talking to people that uh, are, at least as of now, planning on attending. But the opening match on the Gamma Retirement Show is Super Shisa, Naoki Tanizaki, and Oji Shiba versus T-Hawk, Ellendeman, and who is Yamamura's friend? What is that guy's name? Issei Onizuka. Yes, yeah. Uh, so that is a fascinating match and i really want that to make tape there's a lot of good i, I just complained about the wrestling world early on in the show <laughs> japanese sleaze scene is better than ever it, i i mean uh it, i know that there's already a, a preponderance of osaka shows but i'm looking at what gamma's putting on here maybe he should toss his hat back in the ring maybe you know <laughs> i i mean there is a zeus and bodyguard reunion possibly on this gamma show to begin with in the same way that Nathan Fielder did dumb Starbucks, I think Gamma should do sleazy Osaka Pro. 
I think that's a really good idea. <laughs> and, and, and you know what? You, you know who's a through line between these two shows, Case? <laughs> What's that? The same per the same photo of Akuto Hidaka. The exact same photo. <laughs> exact same photo. Well, he's looked, the same, he's looked the same for 25 years. He doesn't need to take a new press photo. I mean, he, he's a man who, who, on the whole, has not aged at all you know, since him and Tanaka, right? Like, like, like it's just not, not, not there, but like the face has caught up with him over recent okay. years. I think that's okay. fair to say. I, I, I mean, you know, time, 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 up time yes, time, time is our biggest enemy. Uh, Strong Machine J, on the other hand, our biggest friend. I, I thought this match was a ton of fun. I went really in depth in my voices of wrestling.com review over how, there was just a heaviness that surrounded the Drangate name leaving Kobe World. And it seemed like whatever tension I had left in me from that weekend, it, it not being the shows that I wanted it to be, the business failure and the feedback that I saw from the English speaking fan base that was, you know, largely very negative. This match, Yosuke Santa Maria nearly winning via kiss. And then the great flash pin sequence to end the match between Machine J and Maria before Strong Machine J eventually submitted her. I took a deep breath and I was like, that's right. Drangate's more fun than anything else. This promotion rocks. This match was super, super fun. And I think, like, we're obviously all still hungover from Kobe World Weekend, but like someone like Strong Machine J and even starting off the show with Natural Vibes doing a Chapter 3 dance was like, all right. Like, like, I don't know why, but the but the new Natural Vibes Act feels more Dragon Gate than anything they've done so far <laughs> lately. Like especially like that moment where like they're all in the ring, like po like with their fists up after the dance. I'm like, all right, this seems about right here. And Strong Machine J getting the uh, submission, the uh, the diamond frame is something that I think like Jay made a big deal about it on commentary. Though it was something that I was like, oh okay, like we got to see the the last two minutes of the match between Maria and. Uh, strong machine j was like going like all right well we're starting to get the dragon gate fun back in it up until that for me personally i just like you're involving some of my favorite people in the promotion and i just kind of felt like some of it was by the numbers until they really got into it honest is strong machine j the most improved wrestler of 2022 it's i still think it might be kamei i still think it just because when you have performances like he did two weeks ago, like the, that deserves, like you have to somehow credit it in a way. But Strong Machine J, I, there, there, there's an argument. There's a strong argument, I think. But I'm still leaning Kamei. I might vote FTR just because it's going to annoy the right people. But right now, Strong Machine <laughs> J is my front runner. How is it improving when you realize that you should drop the cosplay act and be yourself? Oh, it's an improvement when you drop the cosplay, no matter what context that is set in. Fair enough. Uh, two, uh, three old men that people could argue might be doing cosplay of their younger selves was the next matchup. I got my transition I wanted. It just was three matches later, Case. It, it's amazing Wait. what happens when I don't cut you off. <laughs> but it was the original incarnation of M2K, Masaki Mochizuki, Susumu Mochizuki, and Zushi Kanda versus the Torimon original group of dragon kid don fuji and ginky horiguchi it was a gato clutch on kanda from don fuji not the result i would have expected given these six people in 2022 case no not at all 
I hope anytime Don Fuji wins a match like this, I rub my hands together and I think, ooh, what are they going to do with Don Fuji? And I hope the answer is give him a Triangle Gate challenge because I think that would be super fun. And we haven't explored the dynamics of Don Fuji versus Masaki Mochizuki and Mochizuki Jr., which I think could be super interesting, especially at this point in Junior's career where he's still a young boy and by all accounts should be being abused by Don Fuji. But he's Masaki Mochizuki's son, and Masaki Mochizuki isn't going to stand for that. I, I think that's a dynamic that really should be explored, particularly in a Triangle Gate Championship match. I hope that's the direction, the direction they're going. That's really the only thing I have interest in when it comes to watching these uh OGs wrestle. You know, this wasn't sad. This was super quick. It was six minutes in and out. Never had time to get going. Never had time to be bad, which is is a plus in this instance. They got in and they got out. But with Fuji picking up the pinfall, I have to wonder if there's something more coming down the road. I mean, whenever Don Fuji gets a noticeable pinfall, I immediately start, is this Don Fuji getting a last Streamgate shot watch? You know, oh boy, I mean, that is that is gonna be that is gonna be scenes in Cork and Hall if it does eventually happen. I mean, they're going to have to shut down Golden Guy just because the parting that would be happening, just even if he loses, you know, but just because it's adopted native son there for that. Uh, Yeah, no, Don Fuji needs to have a a match with Mochizuki Jr. It needs to happen. Actually, you know where this match should have happened, Case, that we can't have this match happen there anymore? Where's that? This would have been a great singles match to have caught a starlet. Yeah, even... Like, because I'm trying to think, Even I'm trying to play it straight. I'm trying to put together a trios team for Don Fuji to challenge for the Triangle Gate belts. I mean, is it's it hard. is it Fuji, Kondo, and Yoshida? Is it? Fu- I mean, it could just be you know Fuji, Horiguchi, and I. I'm probably not Saito. You know, at that point, mm. they'll probably go Kakucha, Kondo, or Yoshido. I don't know. I don't know what that combination is, but yeah, it, you know, I think I think it was Alan, uh, not to reference him again, but I think it was Alan that was just tweeting about how Hakata Star Lanes is so dearly missed, and he's exactly right. I just, you know, Drangate closed out that building with a bang with Pac versus KZ, but that is one of those things that, you know, if you started watching Japanese wrestling in, let's just say May of 2019. Hakata Star Lanes means nothing to you, but even for you know the few years that I was watching where that was an active building, and obviously you and these long and these longtime fans, it is greatly missed not only within the context of Drangate, but just within the context of this entire scene. Yeah, and it's something that we've seen slow, slowly, and it's something that I would love to talk with someone about like the ins and outs of this because like you've slowly seen like first Hakata and then Sapporo's had such issues with this, like outside of like the and fukuoka hakata is not a small town like like it's one of the bigger city bigger metropolitan areas outside of tokyo but the thing is outside of tokyo population stuff like that and losing a place like hakata starlings when there's just no not going to be a replacement there is something that i think the whole entire wrestling world dearly misses and it's a funny case you think about that last dragon gate hakata starling show well n- now here's a real sick thing case I figure you might know this. 2 4 2019? Am I two, right on that? 2 4 2019. Ah, 2 4, man. What, no, 2 4 16. 
was the legendary unit disbands die hearts monster express versus orc match it. god it's been so long since i've been touched by another human How? why do i know that <laughs> <laughs> but like but like getting back to like that last show there you remember pack versus kz i remember the four star like work rate comedy match between soccer chikawa and don fuji in that same building that night it's interesting to look at like i remember when when the british indie scene really started to boom and one of the comments that was always made was you know not only are these shows shot in hd and although i I personally and i don't know how you feel about this i don't love the look of dslr wrestling and obviously the british scene relied a lot on that but the shows were shot in hd and for the most part they were in these pretty elegant theaters and that was a big talking point of comparing that to the US indie scene and like, wait, why is Gabe still running the shittiest venues possible? Or why are these these venues in in armories and these back halls instead of in these nice buildings? And, you know, I as, as someone that that works loose, I mean, I don't directly work with venues, but I, I work in an industry where music venues are key. There's just not a lot of rooms in America that are made like that and that are made for wrestling. I live down the street from the Aragon Ballroom, which ECW ran a few shows there, but the logistical nightmare of an indie running a venue like an uh, like a like the Aragon in Chicago, I just I, I can't imagine. It's just not within uh, the means of what indie wrestling is in this current state, or let alone five years ago when, when it was in a hot period. And we've hit this interesting point in Japan, where much like in America, there's kind of an issue with venue depth, and there's just not enough places to run and not enough places to run with correctly sized venues there's a reason Drangate doubles if not triples up in fukuoka when they go now because there's just not an alternative to hakata star lanes and the thing that sucks about that is so you look at the attendance across those two shows and it'll be like 600 700 and you see that and like okay th- that's kind of getting to where hakata star lanes was but the problem is and i know we've talked about this with jay before when you have like these like double headers or up in Sapporo or the trips in Okinawa, it's often like repeat fans. So it's not like you're growing. You, you're getting people essentially paying twice to watch two shows. So- and, and because you're running multiple shows, the quality is going to be down. I, I talked to a wrestler who wrestled in Hakata Star Lanes once. And he said the first time he was in that building, first time he stepped in the ring, he's never experienced a crowd like that before. And it shook him. You know, he just he couldn't believe how intense and how passionate those fans were in Nakata Star Lanes. And that's just not being replicated in their current Fukuoka building. And they're running two to three shows on top of it. So instead of being the Cork and Hall of the West, it's now a pain in the ass double shot. It's now the Dayton, Ohio in the Ring of Honor loop, if there ever was one. Yeah, and I case i want to have a bigger in-depth conversation about venues because i do have a lot of like thoughts about that because there is like like comparing like i kind of think weirdly there's more in common with the with venues in japan as there are in europe in a lot of ways in comparison to the united states but that's i i I could probably go about an hour and a half talking about venues. that seems like threatening like when i when i when i think of spears ovation I think let's compare <laughs> Japanese venues to European venues. That is right in your wheelhouse, my good friend. Maybe that's what I was thinking, Case. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know Mike Spears pretty well, and that seems like some Mike Spears content. 
Yeah, yeah. And speaking of Mike Spears content, two matches in a row a transition. What am I doing tonight? This cold medicine's <laughs> great. Uh a special challenge, Ishan Ohashi challenged his junior, who is Mochizuki Jr., to a singles match, second generation wrestlers, getting after it. Ishan Ohashi, mad about Mochizuki Jr.'s a leg up in life. However, that leg up in life would continue in this match as Masaki Mochizuki got involved in the last moments, able to trip up Ishan Ahashi as the referee was turned to allow Mochizuki Jr. to hit that nice Fishman Buster Twister that is now called Twister the World to win this match of second generation wrestler. Match of the night. Loved it. Loved every second of this match. I can't believe how good Mochizuki Jr. is. I thought, like, you, you know, like last week, I was like, no, like, you could hide him in the semi main event of a Kobe world when you have a triangle match, triangle gate match with three teams. You have nine people. You can hide him here. And he didn't hide himself whatsoever. He became the star of the match. He took that confidence into Cork and Hall. And it was astounding. It, it's precocious. He led Ishinihashi in this match, and that's the gnarly thing. Now, it's all relative. You know, if this match happened between Naruki Doi and BB Hulk, we would probably scratch our heads and go, huh, that was that was odd. But we're talking about a guy who debuted two months ago and a guy that is 11 months into his career, and that is remarkable in its own way, again, given the lack of talent development, especially in Japan, but just across wrestling right now. But also the fact that Mochizuki Jr. is the one that led the charge in this match. He was in control in the sense that I, I trusted him to know what next spot was coming, that he was going to be in the right spot and make sure that Ishin was in the right spot. For every second of this match, I thought he was brilliant here. And because these guys are so young, because these guys are where they're at in, in their careers, Ishin Ihashi made a few mistakes in this match. He went for some sort of cravat thing that kind of turned into a crucifix, and that didn't really work. That fell apart, whatever it was supposed to be. Later on in the match, he goes for an octopus hold. He loses his balance. They fall into the ropes. I thought that played into what this match was. These were two guys that were more ambitious than talented. And when you're, when you're this young in your career, you can get away with that. And I actually think it's a really interesting match to watch from that perspective. So I thought this was the match tonight. Three and three quarters from me. Blown away at how good Mochizuki Jr. was. And delighted at the ambition of both guys. So I was a step down. I was three and a half on this. But it was something that I think you could tell the difference really in the Dragon Gate training system versus anywhere else in the world because you're having someone... The combined experience of people in this match is 14 months. 14 months. Because if you look at it, it's like, oh yeah, no. Uh, Mochizuki Jr. only debuted in June and Ishinahashi's uh, first year anniversary is next month. So 14 months we have here, and I would argue that nearly any other uh, wrestling school or dojo or promotion or talent development program, you put two people in the ring that have had combined 14 months of experience, and if it falls apart in the way or goes a little bit off course in the way that this match does, it turns into a disaster. Not with these two guys. I mean, Ishan had like 
really cool mouth blood partway through the match. And that's when you're like, oh, this is the kind of like going for it kind of a little bit sloppiness that actually really works for it. And it's stuff like Ishin getting a little excited, going for a half crab that ended up being like a cross crab that was really gross because he kind of was a little off on it. But it added a lot to the match. Yeah, Jay on commentary wasn't sure if he was going for a figure four or a half crab, and he turned it into like this gross, twisted knee half crab that I think he should just do. I just think that move looks so good, even if I don't the tendon know tendon shredder. Yeah. The ligament destroyer. <laughs> tendon shredder's a great name for a move. Also might be the name of my new band. Uh, this was this was so much fun to watch. It, it's why I'm just, I'm not, I'm not worried in the long term. I really think the way you could look at the final quarter of this year is Drangian has to be in this survive and advance mentality. They have to just get through December, be level with where they were last year, and all of a sudden, all these problems that have been mentioned, you know, this this lack of depth and concerns about future stars, you turn the calendar over, we're going to get Fujiwara back at some point. We're going to get SB Kento back at some point. Food is going to grow. Ishinihashi is going to grow. Mochizuki Jr. is only going to get better. I, I just was so surprised. And again, not singling out one person. I want to make that clear because I know I, 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 as the kids say, went off in the Voices of Wrestling Discord. I'm just so surprised that so many people, and this is a, a, the nature of what we do. We talk about things on a weekly, if not daily basis. And so our opinions change rapidly. But I'm so surprised that people are down on the long-term future of Drangate because I still think they're as stacked as anybody. And it's, you know, it's, it's a case of Mochizuki Jr. only being 20 and Fujiwara being the same age and SB Kento still being dangerously young and Ishinihashi only being 24 years old. Like these guys are the future and they're, they're planning the seeds now. I, I just thought this match was terrific. I love the finish with Masaki Mochizuki once again getting involved. I think the interplay between Masaki Mochizuki, Mochizuki Jr., and everybody else has been perfectly executed up to this point because Mochizuki Jr. looks like a threat. He has that hurricane kick. He has his twister. He looks like he can be dangerous, but he wouldn't be in this spot without his dad. I think it's a really interesting dynamic at play there. I, I'm a huge fan of what they're doing with both of those guys. Yeah, no, it, it, it's something where Mochizuki Jr. is taking the steps forward faster than I expected, and that's been a lot of fun to, to see. I, I, I guess, and not to completely belabor the point, I guess like the thing about like talking about long-term future with Dragon Gate that I wonder when people like make proclamations about that sort of thing. I look at like the long-term future comparatively. And I think that that in a way is how you can really judge how this promotion is preparing for it. Or really as seeing any promotion, you look at it comparatively. And if you take a step back and look at June, 2018 and compare that to, August 2022, so four years later, I think you look at like the 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 10-year, 15-year trajectory of Dragon Gate, and you go, wow, because like people like SB Kento, you didn't even bring up Jackie Funky Kamei, someone who had a five-star match two weeks ago. Yeah. And he's and he's in his early 20s too. Shun Skywalker. And you look at like where the class of 2016 was in 2018 and where they are now. And then you add on Dragon Gate Future 2022. 
class of 2020, I think you like look at that kind of thing. And yes, there's always going to be like the big questions about like, this was a promotion based around young stars. What happens the next generation when the young stars aren't here anymore? That's a question that is never going to be fully answered until that entire generation retires out. So I, if I was going to like look at it as, as like a checkpoint of where they're at, I mean, if you were going, if you were to ask me if, if they're in a better position now than they were last year when Yoshino left, I think the stability is more there because there were a lot of open questions there that was answered over the last 12 months of Yoshino. Just like how I think the long-term trajectory of Dragon Gate has changed drastically when you look at where they were years ago. So I'm a lot more optimistic about the long-term future because of that. Very well put. Let's talk about this post-match angle. Yeah, l- l- let's talk about large adult sons and their large dads because afterwards, Mochizuki started talking shit, Case. He was running down Ishinahashi saying, like, how could you think you're at my son's level like this? Obviously, like, I know you're a second-generation wrestler, but you might not be taking after the right... Your father must not be lying it, laying it down, right? Or your, your mother, like, you, you can't compare Mochizuki Jr. But who was in the back? But Ishinahashi's dad, Ishinriki, coming out. And w- when I saw a photo of it without knowing any context case, I thought I was like, what's Henryu doing out here? Because I was like, because he like, for like, at, at like a moment, like just like scrolling through Twitter, he looked like, he looked like Tenryu for a second, but he looks great. Bright pink shirt, like this. He's retiring in December. They went back and forth, of course. Uh, Ishinriki is uh, Mochizuki Sr. because they both were in WAR. Uh, Ishinriki came in through SWS into WAR, and Mochizuki debuted in WAR as a rookie in 94. So they have that all that back history. And they decided to have a singles ma- a, a tag match coming up. They angrily called out Ryo Saito. A lot of people just yelling out for the GM during the show, booking their stuff. And next month at the December Corkin, Fathers and sons are teaming up for the first time and probably the last time given Ishinriki's retirement coming up in December. Masaki Mochizuki teams with Mochizuki Jr. versus Ishinriki and his son Ishinahashi. The post that Masaki Mochizuki made about this on his Instagram, the caption when translated reads, the battle between Mochizuki family and the farmers, which seems like a devastating insult if you ask me. It, it it's brutal. I mean, like he was dressing down a guy who, a son of someone who was his senior. L- l- like Mochizuki is stepping out for this. Like like Ishinriki stepping up and saying like, you don't don't ever talk about my son that way again. Don't ever talk about me or my son again. Completely appropriate. Masaki Mochizuki. Ever since his son came along, I'm wondering where his priorities are at, man. So. Judging from the tone in your voice, it sounds like you're into this. Oh, I love it. It's the best thing that they had on the show, I thought. Okay. Okay, this is where I thought we might disagree. Because really? I, I thought I, we were going I, to disagree about uh, the next match. No. Well, oh, okay. Well, we'll put a pin on that. I was really worried that you weren't into this. I haven't seen anybody talk about it, which makes me think that perhaps people are not into it. I love this. I think this is such a cool angle to do, especially as we approach the one-year anniversary of Ishinihashi. I, I just, I think this is great. The match doesn't have to be great. It can't be bad. It doesn't have to be great. 
the fact that they can do this, the fact that Drangate now has these generations of wrestlers that they can invite in and play off of, I think is such a cool thing. We've never really seen it in Drangate before. And like you said, this was my favorite thing on the show. I I am so excited for this match in September, not expecting it to be anything good, but just it's just cool. I I would really question anybody that's not into this. I just think this is such a cool match that they're going to do. I love the way they set it up. Obviously, the two young guys killing it beforehand makes me more excited for this. I am into this. Yeah, th- it, this is just like something where like you're 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 given an opportunity here and it's kind of fortuitous that it ended up and I would not be surprised if uh, Ishan Ricky was like cuz he kind of retired. I mean, he he's he's basically been retired for years now. But I think that it's really kind of cool that it's like, "Oh, we have the, his son here." This obviously probably something in the back of my mind, of his mind going like, "Oh, I could probably team with my sons before I retire." And being able to have like if this is the hand you're dealt, you play it every time. And I, I, I don't know uh, how someone cannot be into this. I think that this is, it's just a layup when you look at it. I mean, it, it, you're handed a situation where it's like, oh, you have a pair of fathers and sons. One, one, of the, one of the pair of fathers and sons is one of your most enduring stars. The other one is someone that the fan base might not be super familiar with. We can make it work. And you play the hand beautifully. Like these are the cards that are dealt and this is what you do with it. Okay, I'm I'm glad to know we're on the same page. I was really preparing to come on this show and defend this angle because I think it's really cool. I'm really glad they're doing it, but I, it's it's good to know that that we live in a sane world, Mike. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if we were adding Leona and, and Chikara in on this, then I'd be like, we really need to reassess some things here. But no, the, the, this is perfectly fine. I mean, we have the better second generation stars. What's the greater disparity in father-son talent? Is it Rey Mysterio Jr. and Dominic or Fujinami and Leona? Oh, boy. Well, I feel like I have to be on brand and say that it's a Dominic Dominic Mysterio. Let's call him Dominic Guerrero. I'm on the J school. That was Jay killed me with that line when he mentioned. <laughs> I don't know why he mentioned Dominic on this show, but he was like, well, you know, he's really Eddie Guerrero's son. And that that was a job well done by Jay. That made me laugh really hard. Yeah, 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 but uh, yeah, it would have to be uh, the bigger disparities with Mysterios because I don't know if I still consider Dominic Mysterio a pro wrestler at this point. <laughs> Dangerous question in coming, but if Dominic Mysterio is not a pro wrestler, what is he? Uh, he's someone who's do- doing really good stunt work. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, this was the thing that I said two years ago about SP Kento versus him and the punt dork was that it's very hard... If you're someone who's solely WWE, especially in the matches that both Dominic Mysterio and Pat McAfee had put in to call it like call them pro wrestlers, because it was basically like that they plan it out. And that's not a bad thing. It's just when I look at rookie wrestling, that's something I keep in mind. I completely agree. I'm still I'm, uh, you know, it, it's, we're, it's we're always going to be bitter about that. Yeah, one, it, it's, I, I get it. Pat McAfee, more eyeballs on him than SB Kento. I get it. But boy. That is going to look so bad in a few years. I mean, it looked bad immediately. That's why I called well, it. But you, but you and I are. The thing is, Mike, we're a little more hip to this than some other people. It's it takes it as we've seen with American indie promoters. It takes them a while to get on board with Gate. <laughs> but boy, if someone shows up and they suddenly all fall in line. But uh, that was not the side I was going to make. Okay, so the mascot from the Elect Corporation. They did a really cool tweet about a new product that I just found out that I want to tell you about immediately, Case. 
<laughs> Wait, hold on. Say that again. <laughs> so I, I always butcher the name of the mascot of the luck quotient, the sponge guy. The, yes, you know, like okay. The, the, okay. The sponge guy's Twitter account, right? Yeah. Uh, they are announcing a new product that I'm going to read the machine translation. Please. Here. Isn't it troublesome to clean the floor of your room? Yes. In such a case, failing in brackets, cleaning slippers. These slippers are easy to clean by just wearing them. The ultra-fine fibers on the bottom of the slippers remove dirt and absorb, absorb dirt and dust. Very convenient for cleaning the room. The sponge guy's done it again. He's basically now made slippers that you shuffle around your floor, and it's like a Swiffer, basically. Okay, that is that is such a genius creation. I need that shipped to me immediately we can hold off on m3k merch i'm much more interested in the sponge guy's newest invention hey i as soon as i saw this i i i would have if i had the soundboard working done breaking news for this I thought <laughs> yeah. that's, that merits it uh the, the the next match this was not the one that I thought we we're going to verge on it that this is my main event it was okay that. okay uh, gold class uh kota minora minorita worth noting naruki doi on the injured list with his neck Versus the unaffiliated Twin Towers of Shuji Kondo and Madoka Kakuta, where Kakuta just shortened Minarita even further with a nasty snap pile driver in 8 minutes and 30 seconds. And Casey, you were alluding to this earlier. How was Madoka Kakuta in this match? I, I, I don't understand who or what this man is, where... This is a company that I think thrives on consistency. That's my favorite thing about Dragon Gate is there's going to be highs, there's going to be lows, but that medium portion is a is a healthy heaping. I know what I'm going to get from this promotion. And ever since he's returned from injury in May, Madoka Kakuta has been all over the place. And this was one of those nights where instead of falling into the background and being a complete afterthought, I not looking at these cards... I do not know what he did on Kobe World or the Ultimo show. I cannot remember, but I'm going to remember this match because Kakuta worked like an animal in this. Yeah, it was something where I don't know if it's it, – it might just be like, you know, just rolling a dice with him. But it was seeing the shades of the monster that we got to see a bit with Hip Hop Kakuta where he was cratering guys. And maybe it was the size disparity there, but – the idea of him and Kondo just wanting to just destroy these two. So something that I picked up on commentary, I, I know it's Stokely Hathaway is putting together a a, a a stable right now in AEW, but Jay over commentary has proposed Takashi Yoshida is his number one client that he should be teaming with every person in this match. So that's, I think we're going to see Jay out there with like Kondo, Kakuda and Yoshida. In the I would like, a weekly podcast of Jay Hoho and Takashi Yoshida tackling life's biggest problems. I am so happy with the state of Dragon English commentary right now. Takashi Yoshida legitimately so charming on commentary, especially in the semi-main event, I thought. Uh, just a delightful group of men, and I, I genuinely hope they're having a good time on commentary because I am having a really good time listening to them. And it's something, you know, like, I feel like whenever Yoshida's on commentary, it's like we're getting a vlog for ourselves, you know, because, <laughs> yes, because, like, sadly, I would love to to subscribe and watch every single vlog Takashi Yoshida does. In-ring, that's a different topic for a different day. I thought that he was fine today. But outside of the ring, he might be the most charming people person pro wrestling. And I, as soon as I, I when they were doing the, the card rundown 
and they realized that Ho-Ho Loon was in the semi-main event. And it was like, oh, I guess Sakai, in my head, I was like, is Yoshida going to come out for this? Are we going to get Yoshida? And then when Yoshida came out for this, I was just elated. And boy, what an audio just feast we had for that match, for these two matches. Into the main event, we got Yoshida tapping out in the middle of the main event. I'm, I'm very tired. I must go now. <laughs> <laughs> you do you, buddy. You do you. But yeah, no, this rocked. Yeah, Kakuta's another one of these guys, you know, he's he's in such an interesting position because he's obviously somebody who we gravitated towards once he debuted and the push that he got through the first year of his career. He got hurt. He was gone. And when you look ahead, you look at the names that you throw in that Dreamgate scene, you know, with Yoshioka, you've got your Shuns and your Kais and your Kazis and Yamatos. And, and then you've got that second tier of possible challengers and of guys that just mean something on the roster. And Kakuta's not a name that we've really thrown out there. We haven't had a reason to because since May, like I've said, you know, his return match at Dead or Alive, I thought was super disappointing. Three days later in King of Gate against SP Kento, he has a great match. And it's been this hot and cold thing with him where sometimes he works more aggressive and, and we're able to see him and feel his presence. And sometimes he is such an afterthought and is such a void of charisma on these shows that you would never believe that he was a Dreamgate challenger at one point because he doesn't work anything like one. And so now we're in this position where the roster's going to be thinning. You know, Yamato's going away and Shun's going away. Espy Kento's gone. Fujiwara's not a star on their level, but he brought a certain level of match quality there and he's gone. The last few months of the year, Kakuta has a really big chance to reaffirm his worth on this roster. And the same way that Fuda can over-deliver on the undercard, Kakuta's a guy who really needs to over-deliver when he's alongside D-Courage, which we'll talk about a little bit later on, and really make it feel like Daya and Yoshioka and Kakuta can be a three-headed dragon leading the charge going forward. I don't know if he has it in him. I, I am very bullish on the future of this company. I'm not very bullish on Kakuta right now. He needs to show it to me on a consistent basis, but this was a good start. Yeah, it's something that really from him, like if we were going to do like a segment where we kind of, I guess, give gifts to younger Ross, remember, I, I'd want to give him just constant confidence because he's someone that we got to see this in cork and that when he when he's on and when the confidence is out there he really is able to pull it on to pull it out with that uh the summer main event uh, was a 10-man tag a surprise for everyone including people involved in the match on one side it was the complete complement of zebrats as it exists now kai bb hulk hio shun skywalker and diamante on the other side however the aforementioned Ho Ho Loon, D Courage, Yuki Oshioka, and Dragon Daya, and then Ultimo Dragon Hio del Santo. Santo uh, submitted Hio with a Caballero Camel Clutch in 12 minutes and 30 seconds. Let's one talk about the commentary. Takashi Yoshida loving Lucha style really made my day. Yabe. Really, Yabe. really, really enjoyed that. I don't, I don't know how much we're going to disagree here. I did not mind this match until the finish. Santo submitting Hyo sucks, and that goes against everything I like about Dragon Gate. To me, it goes against the ethos of this company. But before that, 
I did not have an issue with this. I thought that this match was the biggest. Um, <clears throat> I think this match was the uh, biggest case of evidence that for anyone who is convinced that Nassau is pulling the strings, that's not the case because this match was a full on Ultimo show to the extent that he had to get in and make sure he got a submission in at the same time as Hilda Del Santo. By the way, like, on, to- on top of Ultimo booking his longtime friend Ishan Ricky for a tag match at the next Cork and Hall show. Yep. So there's that. I thought that the work in this match, when it was people who are Dragon Gate wrestlers, was solid. It was fine. Like, I liked seeing Shun and Yuki together. I always liked those two together. Like, Ooh, that boy, was a highlight. Sh- Shun and Yuki feels like a Final Gate main event. Oh, no. Yeah, Shun. Buddy. Shun. I forget the. I forget if he's going to be back in America or in Japan. He, he or not. will be by then. He, he okay. will be by that. Boy, does Shun versus Yuki feel like a final gate main event? Yeah, it's got a little bit of pep to it. But you started off by having, of course, when you get like these ten people in the match, like you want to start off with Hio versus Hio Del Santo, and then having just like it. it it's something that it's cool that Hio Del Santo has appeared in Dragon Gate. Like it was cool for that weekend. But if anything, it felt like the Hio de Santo being there just makes Ultimo just go and just have even more of Ultimo stuff like tagging in like nine minutes in the match, like just not doing anything. It just felt like when I was like watching this, I was like, oh, this is kind this is the kind of stuff I was concerned about when Ultimo came back. And here it is here. And that's not to mention just the completely inane going in for business for themselves that Ultimo and Santo did afterwards, which in the Lucha tradition, I think that's hilarious. They're trying to book uh, a, a Puesas match with someone who's not even in the company for the company, but it was something that's just like, what are we doing here? Like, that's where I got into it that like the post-match stuff case frustrated me or it's just got me so exasperated that it colors the match itself because it was like a 30 minute block here. That was all about Ultimo Dragon. You know, when Ultimo came in in the summer of 2019 and they he did the return match, which was this beautiful moment, and I think everybody was really happy with the way that it went, and then he came back again, and then he came back again, and then they announced that he was going to be there full-time. And the first big match he had after being named senior advisor or whatever that role is was an eight-man tag that was a bunch of old guys against red i think it was gate of destiny 2019 and it ended in a double count out and i have said i think it's one of the worst matches in dragon gate history i gave it a dud i hated every second of it and i said this is my fear with ultimo dragon he has shown a history over time his entire career that if ultimo is going to be in your company and he's going to be pushed it is going to become the ultimo show what i didn't expect was that from December of 2019, everything he did after the ATA singles match, which I wasn't into that program, but I also don't begrudge them for doing it. Ultima was a complete non-factor from, let's say, January of 2020 until June of 2022. Was on undercards, wasn't focused on, was at times, I thought, and I've complimented him on this podcast a number of times, a really fun addition to the undercard, quite frankly, because he'd work with Diamante. He'd do his big spots. I've said before, I think I could get in the ring right now 
in wrestle ultimo because he does the same spots every match and has done the same spots largely for 30 years now so all of my fears about ultimo coming in subsided because it seemed like he had finally made peace with who he was and had made peace back at home with Drangate. And was this guy that was just enjoying his life on the undercard, going to Cuba, wrestling US Indies, getting paid a lot of money to take not a lot of bumps. And it was the best version of this stage of Ultimo that we could possibly see. And something seems to have snapped in him, starting with that Torimon reunion show in June, where the worst of Ultimo, the Ultimo that I feared, the Ultimo that we knew was deep down in there somewhere, has all of a sudden reared his ugly head. And that's not to mention the fact that behind the scenes, you and I both agree, given the booking patterns that so clearly echo 2003 Torimon, that, hey, let's say Rio Saito is the general manager, but he's relying a lot on Ultimo Dragon's influence for a lot of these things. You know, Ultimo was the one that came up with and designed the La Estrella gimmick. He's the one that designed the Dragon Dia gimmick. I should note in the case of La Estrella, This is a guy when he was in the dojo who had no plans on becoming a high flyer. Wasn't what he saw his career being. And then Ultimo said, brother, let's take to the skies. His influence is becoming greater and greater and greater. And my fears are growing at the same rate of his influence. This was a very bad Ultimo night. Didn't think the match was bad until the finish. Genuinely did not mind it. Wasn't anything special, but I did not mind it. And then Santo pin, uh, submitted Hio, and there was just no reason for that. Let Ho-Ho take a fall. Have San- Even Santo pinning BB Hulk, I would have been okay with, because at least Hulk's not a champion. But the finish of this match did leave a bad taste in my mouth. And it, it's something that then it just it just kind of like compounds. It compounds. It's like, okay, we have a bad finish after a match that, y- you know had its moments that were great had its moments that you know you're just like what are we doing here and then the rest of it just kind of averages out to being fine and you have a sour taste in your mouth and that in that finish and then you have it was about 15 minutes case i am not exaggerating it was an exceeding long time because first santo stole Hio's brave gate title so it was like oh is santo now going to get a brave gate shot and everyone was kind of Confused about that, then they started going on about Nosawa again. Rio Saito had it kind of... I felt like in a way that Rio Saito was like, we have a curfew we have to hit at some point. Like, well, like we, like we, the show has to go off the air at one point. We have to load out here. And, that's, and that just kind of compounded everything about how I've been feeling about Ultimo lately. And just at, at like a certain point, I'm just wondering when's the next time this dude's going to go to the United States for two months. I'm ready. It's it's very reasonable that you're concerned because I I am concerned as well. This did not feel like, especially that post-match, just did not feel like Dragon Gate. And I think that's the issue that a lot of people, depending on who you think is doing what, who's involved in what, irregardless of that, this has become the issue for a lot of people is that Dragon Gate doesn't feel like Dragon Gate. Now, to me, I would say, where have you been for five years this company has changed everything about itself. And I think largely for the better, but some people are just now coming to that realization, but the Ultimo stuff is a problem. And I don't know where it goes from here. I don't really want to know where it goes from here. I would like it to stop here. 
if it was just Sato coming in, wrestling a few matches, this will probably be his last trip to Japan. I'd go, hey, you know what? The Japanese audience might not be into this. I think it's cool that Santo did a tour of Dragon Gate. I really do. I was okay with the Kobe World stuff because, like I said, Ultimo hadn't featured himself since December of 2019. It's not like he was in the Toriumon Generation versus RED unit disbands match. He was a complete afterthought for that entire feud. This was the first time that Ultimo had featured himself in two and a half years and it was on his anniversary show, and had Peros not gotten involved, I think Ultimo versus Santo was getting really sad. So I came away from that weekend going, it's not what I would have done, but I can live with it. This I was okay with because I thought seeing Diamante versus Santo was cool. I enjoyed the match to a degree. And then Santo Pintio, and to reiterate, it left a really bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, and then we had the main event. This was for the Dream Key and the uh, number one contendership shot, shot at Yuki Yoshioka's Open the Dream Gate title at Dangerous Gate. As we said before, it was Ata winning this match. It was an 18 minutes with a low blow going right into the Imperial Uno, which is straight back to 2020 Ata. Interesting match. Okay, so I thought it was kind of interesting. And kind of like interesting like putting these two guys here even though this was like the right choice to set up a to have to set up like yukio show his like first real promoted challenger like these are two guys to go with but just like it was something where like i was completely of the mindset that kz was going to just eat another uh title loss here but now we're looking at ada at dangerous gate against yukio Shoka. Let's blindly speculate for a second. Oh, that's my favorite. Let, let's let's throw some uninformed opinions against a wall because I'm genuinely curious to see what you think. I, I have my opinion on it. I'd like to know yours. Do you think a month ago, before we knew what the attendance was going to be at the Ultima show and at World, that this was the scheduled main event for this show? I buy that it could have been. Yeah. Okay. I do too. I would be curious to know if anybody thinks this was some sort of panic move, some sort of we have to book a big singles match to make sure there's a thousand people in the building. I don't think it's that. I I, I think it's a big match. I think they would be really overrating the degree to which this match mattered. But I was just curious if you thought that there was any sort of notion coming out of world of, hey, we really got to make sure we've got something big in the main event to to get four digits in the building. I don't think that's the case. I think they knew this is where they were going, but I at least wanted to run that by you. Well, if they want to go tried and true, they would have put uh, Yamato in here. Yes. Like if they if they were if, really, if the, thank you. If they would have done Yamato versus Ata, yeah, I would have gone, huh? Okay, that's a really protected match, and it's weird that they're doing it here. KZ is one of those guys. It's KZ, so it's important, but it's it's also, it's still KZ, and it's a beautiful situation. I'll, actually, I'll backtrack for a second. I want to make this point about the semi-main event. I don't like that Santo submitted Hyo. I don't think it hurts Hyo. That's the beauty of him, is like I always say, he can beat anybody, he can lose to anybody, he's still going to be in good shape. KZ is a weird box office equivalent of that, where he can main event, and he can look really good, but it's also... 
it doesn't feel like you're burning main events when KZ is in them, which is a, it, it's, I mean it as a compliment, but boy, does it not sound like that. And I think it's something that really it shows when you came into the promotion and that's not meant as a gatekeeping comment. I mean, if you're someone who came in more recently, you have seen KZ at his unquestioned career peak and you've seen him rise to this peak and, and, and top himself more after more. But if you're someone who watched him since he debuted, he was someone that the fact that they're able even to have him in Dreamgate matches is over exceeding his projections. So it's it's something that like, will KZ get a title run? Yes, he'll get a title run. It'll be okay, KZ fans. Don't worry about it. But it's just something that like whenever I see him in a scenario here, I go like, okay, yeah, KZ, he's he would be a solid person for Yuki Yoshioka to get his first promoted, not his first real, but his first promoted title. Let's talk about the match briefly because I think the fallout of it is is more interesting than the match itself. I liked it a lot. I went three and three quarters on it. I thought the work was really strong, and with a better finish, this would have hit spreadsheet material. It just had the abrupt finish, but I thought the work was strong. I liked the story they told with Casey's arm getting worked over, and I thought down the stretch, you know, the two big missed Casey times, which led to a third connected Casey time. The big destroyer that was hit towards the end, which got a great near fall, and then, you know, Ato winning with a flash pin was a little disappointing. But before that, I, I thought this was super solid. Yeah, if they would have kept on that path, this would have been an easy uh, notebook match. Uh, yeah, I, I was you, three. You, you, you think this match goes another three or four minutes back and right. forth with a few big flash pins? We're talking about a four and a quarter, four and a half star match. It just, you know, it ended abruptly and it ended the way it did. So because it's the last thing on the show, I think it colors the entire show. Yeah, yeah, and and it's something that these two guys, I mean, first singles match since Gate of Destiny 2020, it just was something that, like, we've seen them, like, and it's, they're protecting the singles match down the line, too, because there wasn't a clean finish in the uh, the title defense that Ada had against KZ two years ago, and there's not a clean finish here. Like, they're protecting the fall here, so I get why they kind of went with that here. It's just something that's like, yeah, three minutes, you let it play out, the match play out as it was laid out. Yeah, that would have been what it was. Uh, I, I majorly echo the thoughts you're saying. I like the fact that they pretty immediately went like, what do you do with Aita after all of this? Well, he's Aita. You can put him in a title shot match. You know, like it makes sense. Like, how are you going to have him just be left adrift here? Like we've seen what happens when people are adrift in Dragon Gate. It's kills whatever momentum they have path they have going for them, especially so if you're unaffiliated. So Ata coming in wanting to do a clean fight and then going into his bag of tricks to escape to get a title shot. I It made sense to me, but I totally get the sour tape. And that is where I think this gets really interesting is over the next month and a half and the build up to this Dreamgate encounter, what does that look like? Because I am of the belief and I'm not steadfast stomping my foot. This is what's going to happen. But I am of the belief that we've seen the last of Peros, meaning Nozawa, Suzuki, and Super Crazy in Dragon Gate. Of course, there's a big Osaka show this weekend. The main event could be Daya, Yoshioka, and Kakuta versus Eita, Super Crazy, and Nozawa. God help us if that's the case. I don't think it's going to be, but that is what I tend to think, that, that we have seen the last of Peros 
in Dragon Gate. I don't think Ata wearing the t-shirt means anything. Ata having the GAC Junior title with him, that means nothing. That is going to be, that is just Ata at this point. It is divorced of any relationship with Drangate. That is just who Ata is and what he's going to do. What's going to be so curious is I talked last week about some of the concerns that I have with D-Courage, with Yoshioka being the champion, about how they're only a tag team and they might need that third guy. Well, not to jump ahead, but they got that guy in Madoka Kakuta. But what is Ata going to do in the build to this match? I think Yoshioka versus Ata is a big match. I think it will do very well. I will be very concerned if it is a bomb at the box office. I think that is impossible with these two guys. So if it does, we will be gravely, gravely concerned. But what does a month and a half of Ata as a lone wolf challenging for the Dreamgate belt look like? Would I love for them to do Ata versus Daya in next month's Cork and Hall? Yeah, that would be fucking awesome. I don't think that's going to happen, though. And I'm so curious to see what does. Yeah, because you look at this the scenarios, and yeah, what we talked about last week about D Courage, and I was like, oh yeah, they're going to fill out D Courage. They ended up doing so, but there is no support for Ada. But it's also Ata. So in a lot of ways, he is a figure that it makes sense that he's going lone wolf here, and just the way that they're going to have to kind of interact with that's going to be fascinating. I I just think that that no matter what, I when I saw these two people as Yoshioka's. Uh, first promoted defense and i'm using i'm making sure i say promoted here because that's a big thing difference because you couldn't promote what happened at a kobe world for him you couldn't th- there's nothing you could really do in less than 24 hours to change that no but, that bill should have been put a witness protection anyways so there was right, there was no yeah. need to promote it right so you have this but so so you had all of this here to set up for yuki Oshoka's first promoted title defense and you have Ata, the person that very much what put the company on his back in 2020 coming out of COVID did not get the run that he deserved. And that's always going to be a question of, with him. That's something that, you know, the youngest grand slam winner in company history that just adds like things that for a first time champion, there's a reason why Ben K immediately went and faced Yamato. There's a reason why first time champions usually have a stronger first defense. Shun was a little bit different because of, how he came in and then the red few that came in afterwards but that basically was how you set things up there so no matter what we were going to have that but now we have the thing instead of having d courage and kakuda versus natural vibes it's going to be wow how do we build this with Ata? and i think you're dead on about that because for six weeks we're, we're going to see how this plays out i did part of the time why i have been talking i, I did look up attendances over the last two dangerous skates uh coming back from covid like their first big big show was 996 in 2020 and it was about 1500 in 2021 so just to get a, a frame of reference in mind when we, when case was talking about needing to put a thousand in there like that's it, it the it, if they only draw a thousand it's gonna be a problem well, what that. headline last year was that yamato versus menorah Yam, yep yamato versus menorah god i you know if that match happened tomorrow, I would certainly think they can at least hit 1,500 again with Yama- with uh, Yoshioka versus Ata. I think on paper, neither of neither Yoshioka nor Ata is a stronger box office draw than Yamato is. 
But right. I think Yoshioka versus H has a stronger match than Yamato versus Minoru was. And I was into that match. But still, I think as of right now, uh, you know, again, six weeks left to play. I, I like I like the odds of Yoshioka versus Ata. Yeah, and I think this is also something that, you know, like, just colloquially, like, we knew that, like, oh, the t-shirts for Ata do really well. And when the first show that he came back with without R.E.D., the crowd response was enormous here. So, like, this is, in a way, to see if Ata really is the draw that we've been assuming for the last two years. And I find that interesting. And that's where... I could be way off base and it's going to be interesting to talk about this because we'll know for sure come, you know, let's say two months from now, October 11th, where we're at. If, and this is an if, because again, I do not know at this point, but if Peros is done, fingers crossed, God willing, I think we're in a position where this hard reset that we thought we were getting with Ata February, March, April can come now and purely fantasy booking purely looking into the future i just want to see a story play out where eita's a lone wolf and he's fighting yuki yoshioka and by proxy his best friend in dragon daya and now his buddy in madoka kakuta and he comes up short in this Dreamgate match and i am still holding out hope crossing my fingers crossing my toes that we get that Ata babyface run that it feels like we deserve. It seems like everybody wants it. We thought we were going to get it. It didn't happen. And there's still a chance over these next six weeks to do a prolonged reset with Ata and to recalibrate who he is. Again, he might be teaming with Super Crazy this weekend, and that won't happen. But I am thinking good thoughts here. And I am thinking that as of right now, this match will draw. This match will be great. And we once again are in a position where Ata can reposition himself and realign as a babyface. That's my that's my ultimate goal coming out of this program. So I like this match. Disappointing finish. But I like the fact that we're doing Yoshioka versus Ata. And I'm excited at the potential that it, that it could, be, uh, could bring. Yeah. And the other thing that we, we've touched on, but we should probably go a little bit more in depth closing out. Uh, in the post-match, uh, D-Courage closed down the show and walking out as it looked like Yuki, Yuki was like killing for time was Madoka Kakuda who said, hey, uh, y'all probably need some help. I'm not joining because you're a tag team, so, but, but, you need, but if you need another body, give me a call. I'm here to assist you. So Madoka Kakuda now officially is an assistant to D-Courage. We haven't had an assistant in a while, and it's something that you know, having him just as an assistant is an interesting thing as well. I, I think this is a good move for all parties, though. I would have rather him just joined the unit, and I think a lot of people feel that way. Not because I'm against the idea of assistance or anything. I just, I just think he could have joined the unit, and I think everything would have been fine. And the fact that he didn't is not annoying, but it is a little disappointing. It, it's a little too cute by half. I would say. Yeah, it's just he's he's a peer of these guys. He's roughly in their generation. It wouldn't be jarring to decourage to add a third guy. Just just have the third guy there. Yeah, and, and it's something that the fact that he doesn't officially join now. There's always going to be the the back question is, oh, is he going to turn now? And, the, and it's something that's pretty clear to me that 
that there's no reason in the world for Kakuda to turn. So why even have that question in people's mind? Yeah, because I still think, and I don't know where you are on this, but I think Ben, Shun, and Hyo are going to find themselves leading a heel unit sooner rather than later and doing a class of 2016 thing. At least that's the direction that I hope that they go. Kakuta would fit because he's a more imposing guy on the roster. He's a bigger guy, much like Ben and Shun are, but I think he's far more valuable getting main event experience by, you know, he he's going to be working these matches. They're, the match that just got uploaded to YouTube as we're recording was the main event from the August 11th show. And it was Hyo, Shun, and Kai versus D Courage and Kakuta. And by proxy, Kakuta is the sixth most important guy in that match. And I think working those big spots without the spotlight on him, if that makes sense, could do him a lot of good. So let's keep him here. Doesn't need to turn. I would prefer him in the unit, but him being an assistant is fine. Yeah, yeah. And this helps out Daya because now Daya doesn't take all his falls. So at least that at least that helps, you know. Yeah, that that was something I was really concerned about was cooling off Daya just because you have to get from point A to point B in these Dreamgate builds, but it seems like Kakuta's now there for that, which, tough break for Kakuta, but that's, you know, that's how it's going to be. Someone has to be a ditch digger. Yeah. So just be the best ditch digger possible, Kakuta. You know? Like, yeah, like, completely. Like, until they, full, they further flesh it all out, it's just, it, it, it's a good thing, and it's something now, instead of Ata having to just bring Nosawa along, if that's the route they're going to go down, now it has to be Nosawa and Kataro, or Nosawa and Super Crazy. One could have. I really, I really hope that's not the case. I, I would just, really, I just, but I don't, I look at this roster, I don't think they can go back to Ata and Maria. No. And I, so no. I just don't, I don't know what else you do with him if you're going to, I mean, I think it'd be cool if we were doing like Ata and Fuda versus D-Courage. Yeah, but that's but that's also not a main event match in Osaka. You know what I mean? Like that's you could you can main event. I don't know if you can main event. You can't main event with Fuda. He's not at that spot. I think you could have gotten away with H and Fujiwara versus D Courage, but you can't do. That's not where Fuda's at. I just, I I don't I don't know what they're gonna do because, again, from things that have been said on this podcast, I'm inclined to believe that we've seen the last of Peros. If we haven't, no big deal. I don't think it changes, you know, the the dynamics that have been talked about so much over the last four or five months. I just think they're still getting bookings, more power to them. But I would really like to see what AJ can do away from those guys now. I thought Peros served their purpose. I really thought they were actually entertaining through the month of June, and then July hit, and they started to overstay their welcome. Yeah, no, I, I, I co-sign that. I just, it, it's just something you look at the roster, as you were saying, and it's just, there's a lot of questions here. And, and I do find the questions interesting. I do find the possible answers to be fascinating. But the, 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 the one answer that they have been doing lately, Faith, is something that I really hope that they have finally gotten over. And we'll see over the next six weeks if they have. Uh, what if case- they do, what if they do Ata and Minora in some matches? I like that. Is that but I, is that is is that death by Minora? It hurt Naruki Doi, obviously. Do you think that would hurt Ata? I think that maybe today it would not be a best case scenario for Ata, but I think the further we get a- away from gold class, it would have been fine. I just think maybe as of today, given the situation of that Minora's and gold class basically holding on for dear life right now. There's just no reason to 
really muddle Ada with that right now, I guess, for lack of a better word. I'm just so curious to see what this Osaka main event's going to be this weekend. I would love if it was Decourage and Kakuta against Ata, Minora, and Minorita. I think that'd be really interesting. I don't think that's the direction they're going to go. But you look at who's on the roster, who is aligned, and who's not. Minora could use a tag partner, and it seems like Ata could too. Yeah, yeah. The, it, it's interesting to see with how they are making that this Summer Adventure Festival show in Osaka it is completely like not only are the cards unknown. Oh, that's but, right. I forgot they were doing that gimmick this weekend. Sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. I just I yeah. <laughs> emoted because I forgot. <laughs> the, the the gimmick that Case forgot about is they are no longer, at least for this one show, that they're playing it that everyone's unaffiliated. You could team with anyone. Units don't matter for this. So they they might find a way to somehow work it so it would be like Yoshioka, Susumu, and I don't know. Let's just pick Yoshida versus Ata, Kai, and I don't know. Uh, let's just Ken, Kenichiro Rai. They, 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 they could doidarts it here. They can get their way out. So this Osaka show is going head-to-head with the Gamma Retirement Show, which is obviously in Osaka. I would expect the Dragon Gate show to be down a little bit because it's the Gamma Retirement Show. If it was... Dragon Gate and a random Gleet show going head to head. I think Dragon Gate would eat their lunch. And I think there's a reason that Gleet hasn't done that. We haven't seen them in the same city on the same date. And and that's for a reason. I would expect Osaka to be down a little bit. And then I would expect it to bounce back in September when they run uh, Osaka number two again. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I mean, I, I, I'm operating under that expectation that just because of Gamma being an Osaka guy and, you know, that time in Osaka Pro and also, you know, pinning together a lot of ex Dragon Gate people on that show, it's gonna it's gonna chip into the the standard Edeon Arena too. I'll say this if I was based in Osaka and I was a ticket buyer, the Dragon Gate thing does not intrigue me as much because there's not a card announced and that mystery vortex stuff does doesn't do a lot for me. I, based on the main event of the Osaka 06 versus Cosmo and X match. And the opening match, which we talked about, the Strong Hearts guys versus Tanizaki, Oji Shiba, and Super Shisa, I'd be buying a ticket to the Gamma Show. Well, they announced who the X was. Oh, who was it? It wasn't Ishida. Who was it? Magnitude Kishiwada. Yeah, I'd be at that show. That match, Osaka 06 versus Cosmo and Magnitude sounds awesome. I mean, the, 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 there's a lot there for the, 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 the two of us. It's not, it's not full-on voice gate produce, but it's pretty... Close to it. Uh, Case, I had stuff to talk about Excursion, but we we had other stuff going on. I know you have a late night. I, I can hold off on that for another week. Let's, let's, let's talk about it when we get closer to Drangate guys in America and what is an Excursion versus what is not an Excursion. Meaning if a five-time Open the Dreamgate champion is coming to your promotion, it's not a learning Excursion. Yeah, I mean, it, it, are you treating the same thing of Hiroshi Tanahashi when he shows up? Mike these, be... pe- Mike, these people don't know. <laughs> American I... American indie promoters are actually dumber than we thought. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know why I beat myself up over this, but I do. But that's going to do it for this week on Open the Voice Gate. Thank you all for listening. You can follow us at Open Voice Gate. Cases that underscore in your case. I'm at Fujiheya. Thanks for listening to Open the Voice Gate. We'll be back with you next week talking about this summer adventure festival business that they're getting into. Take care. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. 
Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.